what's going on, people? I would like to welcome all of you to another Q on One edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And with the Q on Ones, what I like to do is interview people. Sometimes they can be local entrepreneurs, or they could be someone um, who's doing their thing worldwide. Well, wait a minute. I guess you would consider this a Q on Three podcast. Hmm. Anyway. It's an opportunity for you to get to know these people up and close and learn their story and what gave them the passion to do what they do or provide the type of service they provide. So please sit back and enjoy the show and please be encouraged to share. A lot of people, including myself, kind of do their thing by word of mouth, you know, so the more you spread the knowledge about the show then the more people who can tune in and grow this thing and make it bigger. And it also gives more support for the people who I bring on the show who are looking to get their product or services out to the masses. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. They have a podcast called The Good Wives Guide to True Crime and a YouTube series called Murder by Design. Please welcome Fancy, Colleen, and Tori to the Talk to Two Radio Show. Ladies, how's it going? Great. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Okay. Thanks for taking the time. And Fancy, let me start with you. Give us a bit about your background. How did you all meet? <laughs> well, it's adding a story in itself. Um, I mean, just briefly, I was in the entertainment industry. Tori and I have known each other for quite a long time. Uh, we started a, uh, a production company, you know, about six years ago. It's an all-female-owned production company. Um, Colleen and Christina are our partners as well now. They didn't come along till about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago now. Basically, we were working, I, I was working on a true crime case, Gypsy Rose Blanchard case. And um, if you don't know what that is, it's a young lady who basically was kept in a wheelchair her entire life. Her mother made her sick for her entire life. It's a Munchausen by proxy case. And she ended up with an online boyfriend plotting and killing her mother. So... Uh, I was working on it, and Tori was helping out, but it, we quickly became kind of in over our heads with it. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of documents um, that we were given and medical records and all these different things. So I basically put an ad out on Facebook of looking for some nurses who could help me go ahead and, and sort through all the medical you know, documents that we had because I really had no idea what I was looking at, and so Colleen answered that ad, and met Christina in a, a group chat, you know, a group group forum on Facebook about the case. And we just started conversing and she, you know, she asked if there was anything she could do to help out. And that became, you know, turned into this partnership that we have now. So, and it's the four of us working in this genre. So Colleen, tell us about the podcast, The Good Wives Guide to True Crime. So we started off, obviously, with the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case, um, and we're still working on it in terms of a series and then a, a post-series kind of uh, discussion, roundtable. But at some point last year, it was very important for us to get the truth out about this case and the players involved to the people so they actually understood what was happening in terms of the case. And so we decided that we were going to put everything that we had together um, into our podcast. And that was our season one for The Good Wives Guide to True Crime. It was all about um, the Gypsy case. I think we had about 13 episodes that are each like two or more hours long each. 
Um, and they're really raw, emotional episodes. We yell, we cry, we laugh because we were just so emotionally invested in the case and with the family, all of them um, for so long. Um, and so it's very different than what we do now. So uh, we wrapped up that season of the podcast in around uh, December of last year. I can't believe it's already going to be the fall here soon. And then we started moving on and breaking up each season. Now we consist of different cases where we'll do some or only one episode, others, you know, three, four episodes um, where we go in depth. So, Tori, let me ask you, how do you all decide what case is next? We really, we, all of us are interested in true crime. So we're always finding new cases and we just kind of bring them to each other and talk about them. And the ones that really catch all of our interest the most, uh, the ones, especially ones that are controversial, uh, where, you know, it's kind of split on what um, what the public thinks on whether, you know, guilty or innocent or um, like in Gypsy Rose's case, whether she should be punished for murdering her mother or whether it was a justified murder. Um, so a lot of our cases that we pick kind of are split in the public on where they stand. And so they're very controversial. Uh, but we all look for them and ones that draw our attention we bring to everybody else and sit and talk about them and just kind of go from there. We're always working on a handful of cases at a time, though. All right. And this is for whoever wants to answer. And this is just a personal question of mine as a guy. Why does it appear that so many women have a fascination with these true crime stories? I mean, it gets kind of scary for us men out here. <laughs>
and dry and they have a beginning and an end and they're just straight facts. And that a woman's brain is like spaghetti. It's a whole bunch of things just jumbled together. And I think that that fits too is true crime is it's very jumbled. There's so many moving parts to all the, um, the different things that go on. But I think it fits a woman's brain really well, and it doesn't fit into those exact little compartments. So, well, I think that's right. So, I my take is kind of like a combination of their two, in that um, a lot of men do like to say that you know a woman never forgets anything, and she's ready to pull something out uh, to bring it up in an argument five years later. Um, and so, yeah, I think a woman's mind is very, and this is I'm trying, not. Every woman, not every man, but that's generally conceptions, that a woman has a very uh, key intellect and the ability to store and process information and be able to readily use it at any given notice. And uh, I, what we've seen in the past is that, um, you know, law enforcement is dominated by a lot of, uh, it's a male-dominated field, and it's getting better now, but especially in the past, and there's a lot of um, Ego kind of trips, we uh, discuss this with a lot of our experts on our YouTube channel, Murder by Design, um, in that back in you know, the 60s, 70s, uh, the departments didn't you know, share information readily um, due to it being, you know, I can do it myself kind of thing. And whereas a woman is more likely to you know, reach out and pull all pieces of information together. Um, and so I think women look at things more analytically and are able to not just say, yep, they did it, and I know they did it, but look at every little aspect and say, well, maybe they could have done it, but maybe this person over here could have done it, and here's why. And that whole having the need to know why really just, you know, a lot of times when we look, again, just generally, men are just like, yep, he he killed him. End of story. A woman will be, he killed him, but why did he kill him? How did he do it? And why did he do it? Was there any reason behind this? Or was it just an attack? Um, and so I think as women in the public, we are, we look at these true crime cases and, you know, to say, well, why did this happen? I'm only getting, you know, the straight facts and okay, he killed him, but why? And let me, you know, take a look and investigate. Is there something more out there? Could I even help do anything? Um, and so I think, you know, Really, there's so many aspects of why women are probably more interested in true crime in depth, but I think a lot of men are also interested in true crime, but probably more on the surface aspects of it, um, like horror movie aspects, whereas women, I think, are more in line with, like, watching, you know, Law and Order SVU or uh, Mindhunters kind of thing, if okay. that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Now... Let me go back back to you, Fancy. And you mentioned the Gypsy Rose case, but I mean, do you have a a favorite one that intrigues you the most? God, there's just so many. <laughs> um, you know, for a long time, yes, the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case was a very interesting case for me. I think for all of us, it's kind of bittersweet. We've been through a lot with that case. Um, and if you want to know more about that, obviously, you can listen to the first season of The Good Wife's Guide to True Crime. Um, I do think that right now, currently, um, we do have the Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell case that is just fascinating to me. Uh, it's these two, you know, proclaimed cult leaders who 
their, who killed their children and their spouses are all dying around them. And, you know, they predicted that the world was going to end on July 22nd, 2020. So it's very interesting and complex. But I think one of the ones, you know, things that stood out for me, uh, Manson has always stood out for me in the fact that not because of, you know, the, the, the other people, that a lot of people follow that case and they, they're just, I don't know, they're like groupies, but I'm not like that. Again, it goes back to the idea of how did this small man, and he's not a big guy, he's kind of a small, you know, but he's a small guy, He's but he's very charismatic, and he was able to, you know, convince people to actually go out and commit the crimes for him instead of him actually committing the crimes. So I find that fascinating, but I think the very first case that ever really got me interested in anything, uh, and, and it's still one that carries through for me today in the fact that I'm always drawn to these types of cases is these moms that kill, uh, especially being a mom myself. That is something that intrigues me because I could never imagine hurting my children and I don't know how moms can. And that's the Diane Downs story. And it was the first one that I ever really kind of came into knowing and understanding true crime, you know, in a concept because I watched a movie with Sarah Fawcett back in, in the early, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, uh, Small Sacrifices, and it was about that case. And so that's one of the ones that stuck with me, and we intend to look into that in this next season. We're, we're wrapping up season two right now. We'll be back in January with season three, and we have, you know, a couple other podcasts that we're launching in October. But uh, it's that's one case that stuck with me the whole time is the Diane Downs case. Okay, Colleen, what about you? Do you have one that sticks out for you? Um, so on our Patreon and our membership website, uh, we I do a historical podcast once a month um, because I have, I have a minor in history. I'm a uh, I teach uh, nursing to students at a college. I am a nurse, um, so I like a lot of um, medical cases and historical just, cases. Um, and so there are two cases that I'm fascinated by, and for different reasons. Um, the one we will be covering in the next few weeks here, and that is the murder of Lacey Peterson, who uh, her husband, uh, Scott Peterson, has been in mm-hmm. jail in San Quentin for, um, and he's about to get an appeal trial, hopefully. Um, and I'm like the only one of the four of us who thinks he's innocent. So we're going to be having a head-to-head <laughs> debate style on yeah, that. Well, case that should be Yes, we yeah. really encourage everybody to listen to that. Um, but the other cases that I really am drawn to is the really disturbing cases that we don't talk about um, on our regular podcast or our YouTube because it's just too graphic and disturbing. And I cover those on our um, Patreon. And so the other major case that I'm fascinated by is the case of Albert Fish. Um, he was a child uh, sexual predator and uh, murderer and cannibal. So I'll be covering him next month or this month in uh, my historical Patreon episode. Okay. Wasn't he like from the early 1900s or something? Yes. So a lot of the cases that I like to cover on our historical um, are usually uh, early to uh, late of the 1900s. I think um, one of the later ones is in the early 90s. But a lot of them are uh, like early 1900s. Um, I'll be covering Andre okay. uh, Chikatilo from Ukraine uh, next month. 
Um, so I cover worldwide cases over there too. Um, but they're cases, you know, that aren't readily talked about in general because of their age or because of the content. Um, but that case to me is fascinating. You know, he wrote confession letters, sent them to, you know, the parents of these children um, in detailly describing how he ate them, like super disturbing, oh, messed goodness. up dude. Uh, and I find those cases fascinating. Yeah, he was an early Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Yes. And Tori, what about you? I'm really drawn towards the unsolved. So, like, the Zodiac Killer is fascinating to me. John Bonet Ramsey's case is fascinating because they're they're still officially unsolved. Um, and I mm-hmm. actually think that goes back to uh, when I was in middle school. Um, there was, you know, I lived kind of in a city, but I lived in the outskirts. So my high school was the county high school. So we had the outskirts and the the um, other local little tiny towns that were around ours. And in one of the towns that was probably seven or eight miles from my house, there was a girl that was a couple of years younger than me. Um, And she was murdered and left behind a barn in the middle of a field. And to this day, it's still not solved. And I remember so many of the other girls my age were scared. They were like, oh, my goodness, I can't go out and ride my bike. I can't go with my friends. And I just wanted to go out and go where she was found and see what kind of things I could find and see if I could help solve it. You know, I mean, and that really stood out to me still, you know, to this day. I mean, it's been, I'm dating myself here, but my high school reunion was 20 years ago. And, um, you know, so, I mean, it's, and it's still unsolved. They're still, they have no clues. They they had no idea what happened. There were no other murders around that time. So it wasn't a serial spree, you know, and, I mean, they never even brought any suspects in. So I'm drawn, I'm really drawn towards those that still aren't solved. I'm sure that there's a way to solve them, and I would love to be involved in that and just to see these, all these cases come to a completion. And, I, I mean, I have to admit, I don't follow a lot of cases. I mean, there are some that stand out to me. I'm located in Jackson, Mississippi, so the um, Natalie Holloway case in Aruba was really big mm-hmm. around this area. Because um, she was yes. in the town next, she was from the town next door. We covered um, that. On our we just covered channel. that. Yeah, we just covered okay. that on our murder by design. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, there was a case about a lady named Michelle Carter, who texted her boyfriend like a thousand times. You did that one too? Okay. Yeah. Yep. That yep, was a crazy that case. Too. That one is fascinating. That one is extremely fascinating. It's very unusual because it's one of the first times that you know suicide has been looked at as as something that could be, be created by someone else and be something that a person could enact that in, in, in convincing someone else to take their own life. Uh, many times in this country, especially, we, we overlook bullying and we kind of chalk it up to just grow a thicker skin, kid, and, you know, oh, just turn the other cheek. Don't, don't get into them and those things. But there have been many cases that we have seen as of late, actually, that do this kind of bullying to creating people to commit suicide. situation. And so that case, the Michelle Carter case, it's very interesting, and if you, if you, I don't know if you've actually read the the text between them, it's very, it's disturbing. It's very disturbing because it is clearly a young man who who obviously needed and was crying out for help, and a young woman who is extremely, extremely, um, 
disturbed in her own right. Uh, she, there, she's not right in her head. She there's she has mental health issues as well, and so it is very hard. You know, that was a case that that in one in one second you could think, well, God, she's such an awful awful person, and the next you can think, man, I I totally feel for her because she obviously has got her own you know her own cross to bear. So that was a very interesting case, and it was one of the first times that went through the court system like that. Yes, that was very definitely unique. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. Colleen, how much research goes into each episode? I mean, if you all are going to speak on this, I'm sure you have to do a lot of work <laughs> and background checking and all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I want to say for each individual episode and a lot of times we do the episodes as a series of episodes um at least probably at least eight hours of individual research just for us to get the information for um the episode that we're going to talk about and we want to make sure our facts are straight but typically you know we do go deeper into the cases than a lot of other things so we'll read books written by the attorneys or by you know victims family members or written about the case we'll watch documentaries about the cases we'll listen to interviews um, from you know the same people who write the books or haven't written books but they've done interviews Um, and so it easily you know tend to 60 hours, depending on what case we're talking about. Um, and, you know, we do get documents um, that nobody else has. We definitely have them for the uh, Gypsy Rose Blanchard case. You know, we have more records than even uh, her attorneys had. Um, and it's just something that it took a lot of time. It took eight months for me to go through Um, every single page of the medical file that we had um, and I went through with a fine tooth comb and pulled out every single, you know, fact, detailed date and what happened when, where, why um, out of her entire medical file. And I think three or four of the episodes in that podcast are just me going through her medical file uh, month by month, year by year to give people the real information about what she had done and how, you know, Seven surgeries is not one surgery just because they were all on her face. Just different different times, different anesthesia. And so having to, like, break down misconceptions about stuff. You know, some cases are easier to research because either they're newer and we don't have a ton of information out um, or they're more straightforward. Other cases are very, very super in-depth and advanced and require months of our research. And then we also pull... Um, information and facts from the experts that we do have on um, and they either come on our YouTube murder by design or our podcast. Um, like we just uh, have been doing Jody Arias and we interviewed her lawyer, her defense attorney, Kirk Nurmi um, to help give, have them give us and our audience more information um, that, you know, they obviously have the best knowledge. You know, we talked and interviewed um, Kathy Rubin, one of the surviving victims of Ted Bundy. Um, and obviously they give, you know, more information than anybody could research on their own. Wow. Okay. I figured it took a lot of work to try to put something like this together. And I, I, I recently interviewed a family about a woman convicted for being complicit to murder. Uh, this was in Alabama and she's done almost 25 years in prison uh, for a crime that she still claims her innocence for a lady named Ebra Hayes. And very sad story. I, 
I listened to you all, and um, I can't remember what case it was. Was it the Rodney Reed case? If you're talking about a wrongfully convicted, that's one of the ones that we, we, we covered. Okay, I don't remember no. the specifics. But as far as what you've seen, your experience from following a lot of these cases, how much does human emotion play into all of this? Because I know that jurors are told to be impartial, but can we really expect that from the average citizen? Yeah, this is fancy. And we just talked about, we talk about this quite a bit in our podcast because we feel that, uh, that and, and I think it was the Jody Arias case that you might have, uh, you've heard. Um, we also dealt with it in the Rodney Reed case, which was a man in Texas that's been serving a 23-year sentence for a crime that he, he absolutely, we, 100% I can say he did not commit. Um, but, so, uh, yes, human emotion plays into it a lot. And I do think that, you know, yes, you can instruct a juror to not say, you can't, and don't, don't take that into consideration. But once they've heard it and it's gone into their brain, it's there. I mean, it'd be, it's kind of ridiculous to think that they can just unhear it, you know. Um, so we've talked a lot about this and the fact that we're concerned about jury selection and jury knowledge. You know, I think that that asking the average citizen to, especially in certain areas, you know, um, where maybe education is not a, a, a high priority and putting these people into situations where they have to listen to very technical things. Sometimes, you know, there's doctors and autopsy, autopsy doctors and things like that up there, you know, medical coroners, medical examiners, um, you know, forensic specialists, all these different things that come up there. And they talk about things that, you know, the average person may or may not have any knowledge of. And, yes, it's the lawyer's job to get it through to them, but – how much do they really understand? And emotionally, yes, we've talked about that too as well. Um, like in the Jody Arias case, you know, it had to go back to a mistrial because twice because one person was holding out on whether or not she should get the death penalty or not. And one of those jurors was actually interviewed on a show that I watched about it, and he was talking about how he just didn't feel he could put this young girl to to death because he was thinking of his own, you know, his own granddaughter and his own and his own family. And so, yes, we've talked about this a lot. And we've even talked about, is there some way to, you know, possibly have something like a professional uh, jurors, you know, who, who are selected in specific ways and have certain knowledge of things, you know, that they can understand and be impartial. Is there a way to possibly create some sort of education that these jurors have to go through before the trial starts, you know, to under, help them understand some of the things that they're going to be hearing and seeing so that they do understand the letter of the law. Because many times, you know, one juror that in a certain case, she thought that by, um, that by not returning a specific um, sentencing, by, by going for a lesser sentence, that she thought that guaranteed that the woman would be out in a certain earlier part of time, but then the judge imposed a sentence that was life in prison without the possibility of parole. And she had no idea that her decision could warrant that because she didn't know. She just didn't know. And then the same thing in like uh, the Jody Arias case in Arizona, they're a case where, like I said, they had to go back for a mistrial because that's a case where jurors actually have to determine the sentence instead of a judge determining it. And that was something that was concerning for me because I just don't think that we should put the weight of that on a, a regular everyday person, you know, uh, 
the weight of having to decide to put a person to death. You know, there's one thing in deciding that they're guilty and that they're eligible for that, and there's a whole other thing in deciding that that's actually what that person should go to. And I think that a judge would be much better in understanding the laws to do that. And so this is Colleen. Um, and I think, you know, all of that is very valid, but we also see that people, we all have experienced things in our own lives that leave us with, um, you know, prejudice or, you know, ideas of things. Um, and well, again, I'll be talking about this in our uh, Scott Peterson upcoming head to head. But during the trial of Scott Peterson, um, that was out in California, they had the jury was pretty much almost like a hung jury. They were really having a hard time deciding if he should be found guilty or innocent. And one of the jurors uh, dropped out because of it, and they replaced that person. Um, and that person was, had already, you know, this preconceived idea that he was guilty. Um, she was a victim of domestic violence, and so, you know, she went in, she's like, I don't need to hear anything else. I don't need to ask any questions or anything. I'm ready to go and make my determination um, that he was guilty. So, you know, we all have bias. We all have experienced things. And so when people bring those, you know, biases into a jury room where we're deciding somebody's life, um, especially, you know, cases don't just involve, you know, adults. Uh, we see this happening to kids and teenagers as well. Um, you know, a teen-year-old girl who's in prison for the rest of her life um, because she was, I think it was a 15-year-old who killed the uh, person who bought her as a sex slave. And, you know, people just make these determinations on, you know, people based on biases, where they're from and, you know, where they grew up, their education status, their, you know, our race, gender, sexual orientation, all plays a factor into who and our, what our ideas are brought into that jury room. Um, and it's unfortunate because it has impacted thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in our criminal justice system. It has to be very scary for the defendant in any case, if it's someone that's innocent, especially, um, to pretty much have your life in, in someone else's hands like that. And so a couple right. more questions, and we'll get ready to wrap things up. Now, I mentioned the Good Wives Got to True Crime podcast, but you also have a YouTube series called Murder by Design. What is that about, and how does it differ from the podcast? This is fancy. Um, so a Murder by Design came about in the thought process of what makes a person do what they do. And, and we started talking about this a lot with the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case, because in that case, every single person involved is both a perpetrator and a victim. So Dee Dee being the mother and creating Gypsy to be, you know, this sick child and it's all fake and everything, she's a perpetrator. But she was also a victim, a victim in two ways. She's a victim of being killed by Gypsy and her boyfriend, but she was also a victim of her own mother and, and the way that her, she was brought up. And so it created this, this kind of circular effect of she did the same things to Gypsy, which created Gypsy to be exactly who Gypsy is. Uh, you know, you can look at Gypsy and some people look at her and see a very innocent girl who, you know, had no chance at being anything but more than what her mother created her to be. And everything she is is exactly what her mother created her to be. But it's not um, – but Gypsy also is her own person. And she's very manipulative and she is extremely sociopathic. And so she is – 
a perpetrator and that she, you know, plotted to kill her own mother. Uh, Nicholas Godijan, who is the boyfriend who actually enacted the, the plan and carried out the murder, is also a victim of his own raising. Um, you know, he had uh, parents who had early on in his life were involved in drugs and his father and mother, you know, uh, supposedly got clean. And his father doesn't believe in using any types of medications. So he has, he suffers from autism, you know, he's on the autism spectrum, just, you know, spectrum, um, very high functioning. So he would be in what was originally termed as like Asperger's, but now has been con- considered, you know, just they've all made it into one scale of the autism spectrum scale. Um, and so he he doesn't think like the rest of the world, and he has lots of different problems, and he has problems that he should have been medicated for, and his father convinced him not to take those medications. Here comes Gypsy, uh, you know, a cute young girl who pays attention to him and makes him feel good and uh, accepts him for who he is, and, you know, she she manipulates him into, you know, killing her mom, and, and then he's a, he's a perpetrator in killing her mom. So that circular motion really got us to begin to think of what creates a murderer, you know, um, so murder by design, we strive to figure that out. We, we look at cases in that, that way. We talk about the psychological portion of this. We talk about is there an inherent evil or is are all people created to be the things that they are to a series of events in their lives? And I can say, honestly, 99% of the time we find that there is a creation process of who this person becomes uh, maybe one person of the time, you know, it's somebody that just was born, you know, what we would consider, you know, a bad seed. But uh, truthfully, I, I found most cases are very, very common that it's something that happened and it was a series of events. And that's what we look at is what led up to this moment. We don't look always at the crime itself, but more of all the things that played into this or what that person was thinking or why that person did what they were doing. So that's the difference. And um, whereas, you know, the true crime, the dead wife's guide to true crime is a little more of just, here's the case, here's our thoughts on the case, here's an expert or a person connected to the case in some way that we talk with to get some insight. So those are kind of the two differences between, between the two programs. Well, and so this is Colleen. Um, and so on our podcast, it's, uh, fancy me, Tori, and Christina, and you know, and our occasional guests, or we put in some interviews that we've done with them. Um, we're on our our YouTube. It's uh, just fancy and me, um, and then we routinely have um, a guest to join us. Um, typically, um, all of them have appeared on Nancy Grace or Court TV somehow or another. Um, we have our guests who are. Uh, always coming back to us. I've been on multiple times. Um, We also put in clips from interviews that we've done um, for those cases as well. Um, Some cases on our YouTube, we only, you know, it's a shorter case, so we'll only do one or two. Other cases are really more in-depth and long, so we'll do um, three, four. You know, our podcasts can tend to run uh, longer because we do go in a lot of detail, whereas our YouTube, we try to keep it between, you know, 30 minutes to an hour per episode. This is Tori. Right now, the podcast is really just Fancy and Colleen, but that is something I'm going to be more involved in. I actually took time off. I have a newborn, um, four months now, but I have, um, it was a difficult pregnancy, so I had to step down And while they did all of that, and I'm just now at the point with him where I'll be 
uh, more involved in the podcast as well and the YouTube channel, both. Congratulations. Well, thank you. <laughs> Man, I, I, when I listen to you all describe both shows, I, I wonder how you have time to do anything else. Both sound like a full-time <laughs> job. My goodness. We, we don't, We're we busy don't. all the time. <laughs> Tori's got six kids. Uh, Christina is in New York and uh, has an adult son, but she's always very, very busy. You know, Fancy's got three kids, um, and is she runs a lot of our, you know, executive. Obviously, she's the um, head of our uh, production company, and so she runs a lot of our executive stuff and reaching out for, you know, interviews and, you know, handles every a lot of things. So she's And she edits. I teach full-time uh, nursing. I practice still once in a while. I'm a grad student graduating in December with my nurse practitioner degree, um, and then I do this full-time. So, uh, yeah, we're busy all the time. <laughs> we don't sleep much. I was no. saying we were asked that by our social media manager the other day is, like, don't you guys ever sleep? And I was like, no, nope, not really. So, you know, I put in probably 15 hours a day um, between editing, researching, um, putting together other things, taping stuff, um, working on – the other part of our business, which is a fully, you know, like I said, a, a full woman, all women run production company that we run and we do other projects that aren't just true crime. We have, you know, dramas and series and things like that, that we're working on. And if uh, any, everything goes back to, you know, we can tape anything. We've got a couple of series and things that are in the works right now. It's just um, everything has been shut down because of COVID. So yeah, we don't, we don't have a lot of free time to do anything else. Well, I'm glad you're passionate about this. So I'm sure that it makes it a lot easier for you all to do what you do because you are passionate about it. And I definitely look forward going back and listening to some of your previous episodes. Um, just one little rapid fire question and you all can just give a one word answer on this. And Case, Fancy, I'll ask you first. And a matter of fact, let's go in order with Fancy, Colleen, and Tori. So here's the question, just guilty or not guilty, Casey Anthony. Guilty. Colleen? Guilty. Tori? Guilty. No doubt guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the luckiest person in the history of Florida's criminal justice system. Her lawyer was covering. Yeah, we're covering that in our, in our third season of The Good Wives Guide to True Crime, and we'll probably be talking a lot about um, what happened in that case because a lot of people – they have a very big misconception of why the jury came back with the ruling that they did. And so we'll be talking about that in our upcoming third season starting back in January. So, I'm just curious about that one. I won't even ask you about OJ. Everybody knows he did it. But where, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> can people, <laughs> where can people find your shows and how can they connect with you all on social media? Okay, so on social media, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at, you know, slash True Crime Wives with a V, uh, W-I-V-E-S, so wives like more than one, so True Crime Wives on any of those, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, we're there. On YouTube, it's youtube.com slash murder by design, and then um, our podcast is The Good Wives Guide to True Crime. You can find it on any of the major podcast players. Uh, so we're out there on Spotify, Pandora, uh, you know, Stitcher, iTunes, all of those. But you can also go directly to our personal website, 
and that is Mad, M-A-D, ginger, ginger like the hair, color of your hair. So that's M-A-D-G-I-N-G-E-R, entertainment.com. Our podcast is on there, our YouTube, our blog, um, all the other projects that we're working on. So there, it's a brand new website, and so everything is really on there. Um, and you can even find out information about um, some of the charity um, organizations that we have started and are working on. So you can find all of that there on MadGenderEntertainment.com. Sounds good. Well, ladies, it's been a pleasure to speak with all of you. Like I said, I, I enjoyed what I've heard so far, and I look forward to diving a little deeper in some of these cases that may stand out to me. And um, I wish you all much continued success with your podcast and your YouTube channel. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. So you. And just so you guys Thank know, we are launching two more, two more podcasts in October, so be on the lookout for brand new things that we're doing. How? <laughs> That's what I want to know. It'll be during the time that we're on hiatus from the Good Wives, so um, it's going to be two different things. We're we're on, we're launching a missing persons podcast that's just specifically dedicated to missing person and unsolved cases, um, and we'll be working with our friend Todd Matthews, who's the former director of NAMIS, which is a national database of missing and unsolved cases. And then our other one that we're really excited that one, about is what? Story go. I was going to say, and of course. This is Tori, and I was going to say, and of course, with my fascination with Unsolved, that one's just, I can't wait. <laughs> right. And then Tori and I are actually also launching an entertainment podcast, um, which is going to deal with a little bit of the entertainment industry. We'll be doing some interviews with some, you know, actors, directors, writers, all of those different kinds of things, some pop culture, and a little bit of true crime, and a little bit of recipes, you know, lunchtime recipes. So look out for both of those things coming onto our Mad Ginger Entertainment site. You'll see them there, and they'll be, you know, obviously on all the major podcast platforms, too, So once they come out in October. You know, for you all to be good wives, I have no idea when you have time to actually be a wife. That's just so much going on right there. All of our husbands are really used to it. Um, I just got married in December, uh, We've I've been with my husband since eighth grade, so it's been twelve and a half years now. Um, but I've he, known my husband you know, since seventh grade, so <laughs> right, like they're used to it. They're used to it. We let them play video games and they chill. Well, I've been married for twenty five years. At this point, we don't have anything left to say to each other. <laughs> <laughs> you all were speaking about missing persons, and I'm surprised that your husbands haven't reported you missing from all the work you're doing. <laughs> on a live tour until COVID hit, so, <laughs> um, so you know, we're working on that, too. I mean, we, yeah, we're very, very busy women. We're just very driven, you know. Um, I do, we do take our time off on the weekends a lot of times to spend, you know, time with our family. I try to go out with my husband on Sundays, and, and we just, a lot of times we just drive and have a good day, you know. Um, but Tori's very busy with her six kiddos. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we, we, we're, we make it happen, you know. If you're really passionate about something and you're really, you're really dedicated to making it happen, you find you somehow find a balance, you know. So. Well, and the our family members and our spouses and kids, they're all very supportive of what we do in our personal lives, but also our professional lives. We wouldn't be able to do this without the support of them, you know, taking on more of a role at home, and um, mm-hmm. they're all very, very supportive. So, love goes out right. to all. Right family and 
story again. But one of the ways, you know, like they said, I have six kids. And then um, one of the ways that I make it work with all of it is I'll do a lot of my research. I'll put my phone where it plays, um, you know, the different interviews and things like that while I'm cooking dinner or cleaning the kitchen or folding laundry. My kids, I'm really lucky. My kids are really into uh, true crime as well. So, like, we almost always have some kind of crime show on TV. So it's no big deal for them to watch something that I'm watching as research. They're like, oh, okay, oh, this one's real? It's not fictional? Okay, we'll watch it. Um, you know, <laughs> one of my kids wants to be a, a criminologist, so uh, we've actually, we're homeschooling her, and one of her classes is crime study. So we study uh, crimes. It's, it's not unheard of to drive past our house and have an actual crime scene with crime tape in the front yard. The neighbors are just oh. like, oh, they're just doing homework again. <laughs> The story hasn't murdered anybody. Well, I think that is great. Yes, yes. And I appreciate you all taking the time. Look out, Nancy Grace. The good wives might be coming for your spot. We just want Nancy to. We would yeah, love it. We want Nancy to talk to us. That's our biggest goal. Yes. Nancy, please talk to us. Nancy, please talk to us. You are my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> Keep doing your thing, and um, again, thanks for taking the time to join the Talk to Q Radio Show. All right, thank, thank you. you for having All right. All right, thank you. And that's going to do it for this T2Q podcast. Go to TalkToQ.com, and that way you can sign up for the email newsletter and be alerted to new shows as they come out. I'm on Twitter at talk to q and that's Talk, the number two Q. So I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast of T2Q, and I'll see you next time.